Hello, and thanks for listening to the American Cancer Society's Theory Lab podcast. I'm Joe Cotter. I work in our research department. Um, today, we spoke with a couple of grantees who are working at the molecular mechanisms of colon cancer progression. Uh, one, Jason Locasal, a two-time grantee at Duke University. Um, he's an assistant professor of pharmacology and cancer biology there, and he's particularly interested in how diet and nutrition shape metabolic pathways and how metabolism influences epigenetics and chromatin biology. We also spoke with Nan Gao, an associate professor of cell biology at Rutgers, uh, also an ACS grantee. And part of what he is focused on is how intestinal stem cells respond to genetic and environmental alterations. So my colleague, Dr. Mike Milner, brought them together to have a conversation around the crossover between metabolism and epigenetics. Um, they also talked a bit about how the microbiome comes into play. Uh, so with that, let's get to it. Well, this this is something that I, I brought up to Joe, and it, it mm -hmm. may not sound reasonable to you guys, but we thought it'd be neat, at least I thought it'd be neat, to get you together uh, because there is a little bit of overlap in terms of uh, colon cancer mm -hmm. between what you guys have been looking at. And what's particularly interesting to me is is this intersection between the way in which metabolism metabolism is functioning in these um, intestinal epithelial cells, mm -hmm. and in particular the differences between the way normal epithelial cells function and stem cells in the epithelium function. Mm -hmm. I thought it'd be interesting just to throw out a conversation. I mean, there have been a number of people um, who've bounced off of me some really interesting questions, you know. Mm. Um, like, you know, people have brought up that maybe 50% or more of the enzymes that function in terms of epigenetic modifications utilize key intermediates from the uh, metabolic cycle. Mm -hmm. And so are there some really interesting interactions going on between metabolism, stem cells in the you know, in the gut and cancer. And cancer. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Th thanks, Mike. So as I, I was reading uh, Jason's, you know, that paper, I, I really think, yeah, I mean, the metabolism and seraphate, I mean, his review touched a lot of on that, you know, seraphate um, regulation and how the metabolism program is rewired. You know, I think they, they, I think they, they played a lot of, you know, role in cancer development. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, connection, Mike. I mean, the the, the basic idea is that um, uh, within the metabolic pathways that we all studied and um, you know memorized for exams and you know, I guess since forgotten <laughs> um, that uh, you know within within those pathways you have a uh, the basic idea is you have you know nutrients are taken up into cells um, and whether those nutrients are coming from the circulation or or something you know potentially very interesting about the um, the intestine is that those nutrients some of those nutrients are directly coming from um, you know the diet as as, as um, right. You know, as those cells are seeing nutrients before they're processed by the liver, and and, and you know they reach into um, circulation, which is something you would see that might be different from other peripheral tissues and other um, epithelial 
cancers that develop. But within those pathways, basically those nutrients come in and, and there's a whole series of complicated um, biochemistry that then you know, occurs where, where these nutrients get metabolized, they get converted into other um, intermediates and they spread throughout these networks. And then these networks have, um, you know, are basically designed to meet a series of requirements that are uh, necessary for the, um, you know, to maintain the fitness of, uh, of the cell that's um, undergoing that metabolism. Um, so, so while all of that is happening, um, you know, what we've come to appreciate um, over the last five, seven years um, uh, or so is that, um, is, is that some of these molecules, the intermediates in these pathways, um, you know, they're also the substrates. They're also being used to carry out um, uh, chemical reactions, both enzymatic and non-enzymatic, on... Um, on um, macromolecules and cells, um, notably uh, like histones and, and um, nucleic acids, and and, um, and so many of these uh, chromatin modifications that that we think about when we um, you know develop these concepts about um, you know cellular state and epigenetics, um, you know these modifications are coming from the chemistry that's involved in. Um, you know, uh, 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 through which, um, you know, eventually came from the metabolism, um, you know, to provide the sources for those, um, those reactions. And so there's potentially these really interesting connections where, whereas we know, you know, there's a whole world of metabolic regulation that lies, you know, both in the genetic programs um, that the cells uh, that the the cells um, you know have in their wiring, as well as their um, you know as, as well as their environment. Like in the case of the you know, in case of the small intestine, it's it's um, you know it, 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 some of that's coming from the you know coming directly from the diet. Um, and, and and so basically, there's all this regulation and all these dynamics that happens with metabolism. But as this dynamics and all this regulation occurs, basically what you Get are these variations in um, metabolite concentrations, and, um, and this is some work we uh, we and um, you know several other labs have published over the years, basically showing that um, uh, I guess in, in in the case of what we were focusing on is whether just in normal um, processes, um, you know whether that variation that we observed in the concentrations of metabolites, um, whether that was sufficient and in some cases necessary to alter the dynamics of um, chromatin and, and DNA. And, and I guess the long story short, and <laughs> um, the fact that we're talking about it now means uh, basically, yes, that like there is a lot of cases where the just the metabolic regulation was sufficient to induce variations in concentrations of metabolites to confer differences in, um, in chromatin biology, um, mostly through um, through the modifications and these modifications, there's a whole series of them. And I think Nan mentioned that, you know, review we wrote in uh, Nature Cell Biology, which highlighted, you know, just cataloged some of that. And there's a lot of other literature that's reviewed this as well. Um, but um, but those modifications include things like histone acetylation, histone methylation, um, glycosylation, and and um, and these modifications they're all dynamic. They all occur on different time scales, and they all confer a lot of interesting and also sometimes very complicated 
um, features to um, to mediate the expression of genes. And so then you have this interesting like nutrition, gene, environment kind of interaction which occurs via these mech via, via this kind of biochemistry. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So so in terms of uh, small in, uh, you know intestinal epithelia, yeah. I think in, in recent you know years, I think around maybe five years. Um, so there is a there is a, a dramatic understanding of the you know plasticity within you know this intestinal epithelial compartment. So what does that mean? Is um, m multiple groups uh, shown uh, several types of uh, mature you know terminally differentiated uh, intestinal epithelial. They they were able to um, revert revert back. Uh, become stem cells to actually uh, repair injured intestine or, you know, and th th this process can happen uh, slowly uh, in homeostasis condition, uh, but it basically amplified during, you know, um, injury condition or in response to uh, stress. So yeah. Wonderful. Our, also, nutritional uh, state right. too, like fast. Exactly, exactly. I was reading your paper. That's why I yeah. was, I was thinking there's a lot of uh, uh, maybe contribution from from uh, metabolic, you know, uh, state. So that's mm -hmm. actually uh, led me to think about. So one of our contribution is um, we we basically phenotypically demonstrated uh, one of the long-lived uh, intestinal epithelia, uh, which is called uh, the panacea's. Um, they, they live very long, like two months they can live. And these cells, um, in response to injuries such as uh, radiation, uh, which kills all the dividing stem cells, and in response to such injury, um, these panacea can actually revert or called de-differentiated into uh, stem cells, and they, they can uh, populate the intestinal crypt and uh, epithelia. And uh, th this actually, since our uh, report, there's multiple groups actually showed uh, Panacea can do the same thing uh, in response mm -hmm. not only to radiation, but also to uh, chemotherapy, su such as uh, yep. uh, yeah, uh, some chemicals kills the stem cell and also responds to mm -hmm. uh, inflammation. So, so, so Nan, what do you, um, sorry, right. so just to a non-specialist, um, how does the panis cell relate to the rest of the colonic epithelium? Um, so there's, uh, um, you know, there, 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 there's a whole series of cells, and some of them have an, an enterocytic function. They have digestion functions. Yes, they have, yes, yes. Um, you know, so, some of them, you know, you have the stem cells that we were talking about. So where, where do the panis cells come in? Right, right. Very good question. So. Um, so Hans Cleavers showed, you know, RGR5 stem cells. Everybody uh -huh. uh, now know they are located at the bottom of the crypt. The bottom of the crypt, yeah. right. So panacea actually um, immediately just juxtaposed to the stem cells. Mm -hmm. So they are, they are basically the second largest population uh, sitting in, in the crypt bottom. So mm -hmm. they are intermingled with stem cells. Um, so they, they, they have two functions, basically, in the literature now um, uh, thinking. One is to uh, nurture the stem cell because they produce large amount of wind 
uh, EGF and other uh, growth factors. Now, the second function is they produce a lot of antimicrobial peptide, um, such as defensing uh, and lysozyme to uh, kill the microbiomes. Mm-hmm. So, so they're basically the, the two, um, two functions. So, um, so when, when, I, when I, we were actually in the process of thinking um, how injury um, stimulate panacea to de-differentiate. And mm-hmm. as I, I was looking at your paper, and actually that's very uh, inspiring to think um, there might be a metabolic re- reprogramming, as you, as you put it, right? But I think um, the, the question is uh, how um, these injuries uh, activate these metabolic reprogramming. I, I think... Um, yeah, so what kind of injury are we talking about? Um, yeah, so, so the injury yeah. we, were ta- we did is uh, radiation. Radiation. High-dose high radiation only kills the proliferating stem cells. Mm-hmm. All the non-proliferating cells, they are resistant to radiation, so they, they, uh, so, such as panacea, they survive. Mm-hmm. But, but these, uh, these um, radiation, which deplete the dividing cells, um, you know, like, uh, similarly, in, you know, in, uh, in the hospital, right, or cancer patients, you do radiation therapy or you do chemotherapy is yeah. to kill those fast uh, cycling uh, cancer cells. And, mm-hmm. and, and you sometimes, unfortunately, the cancer cells repopulate, right? They, they come back. So I think um, uh, one of the um, um, contribution of, of these uh, body of uh, work, I mean, multiple groups, is that um, it kind of shed light on the, uh, the plasticity, of, of cancer because uh, like those, uh, those cancers that resistant to, to these chemo or radiation therapy. So there's mm-hmm. always there's a pool of uh, dormant, people call them dormant cancer cells. They, they, they can't be killed by these, uh, these therapy. However, these therapy uh, wakes them up to actually become uh, the seeds for the next Generation of uh, uh, you know tumors, so so um, I think I think uh, probably uh, meta- metabolic re- rewiring right as you as you mentioned in the review uh, plays a role for this kind of uh, uh, wakening up of the dormant uh, cells. Yeah, you brought up the microbiome. Uh, what about metabolites yeah. generated by the microbiome, like butyrate? It's been proposed to have mm-hmm. a protective effect against yeah. right, right, colon right. cancer, and sometimes the amounts of butyrate are quite significant. Yeah. Both yeah. Right. are there effects of butyrate because it's been hyped as having, you know, potential epigenetic direct effects, but also as a as a fatty acid, is it an energy source for mm-hmm. those cells and the yeah, those are really uh, interesting questions. Like, I, 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 um, the short answer is we have no idea. The <laughs> 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 long answer we can ramble on for the next like three hours of uh, all kinds of the stuff like that's going on there. Um, one is not is not mentioned. Um, there are a a good chunk of that colonic epithelial is devoted to bacterial cytal um, function. Right, um, right, right. You know, one, one of the goals of the of the 
you know, the, uh, the cells in the epithelium is to try to get rid of as much bacteria as possible. Um, so that being said, um, you know, that, that being said, you know, our intestines are bathed in bacteria. I mean, and, and um, I mean, the, the estimates of the number of cells in your body that are bacteria as opposed to human, it's, it's, some, it's some, you know, astronomical number. And, you know, there's been literature, I mean, in the last 10 years that has pointed to the microbiome um, being evolved in essentially any aspect of health or disease that we could possibly imagine. Um, right, right. Uh, and, and, and there's, you know, been thousands of papers pointing the microbiome to, you know, all, all different kinds of, um, you know, pretty much any aspect of health or disease, whether it's diabetes, wh whether it's metabolic disease, whether it's, um, you know, even like psychological function, like even if it's like, you know, psychiatric diseases, like, um, like again, uh, cancer. There's all kinds of interesting, um, you know, connections, and 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 there's tons of studies that that all have pointed to this. Um, that being said, um, you know, we also, you know, every once in a while we we get, you know, we get an infection and we take some antibiotics, and that also like largely wipes out our microbiome to to a good extent. Um, you know, and we're largely fine, like a couple weeks later, and we don't, and we don't get schizophrenia, and we don't get diabetes, and we don't like you know, get heart attacks, like in cancer, like three weeks later. Um, so, so we're still kind of in the point at which we're trying to understand the relative role that the microbiome plays. But that being said, um, microbiota, you know, are really interesting from the perspective of metabolism because they're making all kinds of things. I mean, basically, they're serving as essentially a metabolic, if they, to the extent that they have a function, they're essentially an alternative metabolic or an additional parallel, you know, metabolic organ that's, you know, that, that's in play. I mean, almost, you know, this, in the same way your liver is. And, and um, cause it's making all, they're making all kinds of stuff and they're probably not secreting a lot of hormones or protein or peptide products. Like it's, it's, I mean, they have less like of an endocrine function and more of like providing metabolic, um, you know, uh, there's, um, you know, they're providing metabolites or molecules to other cells. Um, so, so it's really fascinating. And butyrate's been a really interesting one. I mean, that, that, that's something which has been, you know, largely made by the microbiome. It's, it's an endogenous HDAC inhibitor. If it's, it's a histone deacetylase inhibitor, which provides a link between metabolism and epigenetics. Um, it can get metabolized in the mitochondria, um, uh, yeah, and, and, and so there's really interesting things, and it's just kind of a question of, like, figuring out how much mechanism do we really, you know, how, like, can you get enough butyrate into the intestine, you know, <laughs> to, to, to support, you know, these kinds of functions, which might, like, um, you know, which may be the case in some examples, and, and, and it may not in others, and we're still just, you know, trying to understand this, and, and yeah. you know, the, yeah, sorry. I have a quick question for, you know, Jason. So, so in in the future direction of your paper, you you mentioned yeah. you know um, you know currently I mean there is uh, uh, the you know the enzymes that modifies the chromatin right so they're they're enzymatic kinetics and uh, uh, thermodynamics I mean these these parameters and how um, I mean how they were regulated right so yeah. that's a that's a very important. Um, 
important question for to understand the the output of these uh, metabolic program. So I was wondering, is there any uh, research going on uh, in terms of uh, microbial metabolites, uh, their impact on on some key chromatin modi modifying enzyme? Uh, is there any like research to look at, for example? Yeah, the yeah, that's Mike brought up the butyrate. That's been a yeah. that's a really active area in the last right, right, right. Yeah, for a while. And then um, outside of that, I mean, it's it's just very hard to study this stuff in in vivo situations <laughs> because you got to, I mean, to to have a direct, it, it's easy to, you know, typically you have a mouse and you can you can potentially have a notobiotic facility or you can do a fecal transplant in the mouse. <laughs> um, or, you know, in some cases you could treat the mice with, you know, high doses of antibiotics to to get rid of the microbiome, but those also have a lot of other effects on the liver and, you know, all kinds of other aspects of metabolism too. And so, um, you know, same with the notobiotic, with the germ-free mice, I mean, those, the, the mice are, are generally not very healthy in those Therapy. kinds of situations and um, in, in those environments. And so it's, it's um, and whether it's just like structural support to the intestine that the microbiota are playing as well, um, you know, whether it's just, you know, ability to take on digestion that, you know, requires some part of the microbiome. But I, but I think it's just very hard to figure this stuff out. And, um, in vivo, right. In yeah, vivo, right? in vivo, in real physiological situations. And, and, and so, like, what, the, what that biochemistry you were mentioning, um, I think, helps with is, is you, can, you can essentially rule out a lot of possible mechanisms by just looking at whether, you know, the binding affinities are commensurate with the kinds of concentrations that are possible and, and so on. And, and, and so I think what a lot of the kinetics and the thermodynamics does is it doesn't necessarily tell you what's happening, but it tells you what's possible at least. And, and, and so, so you can get some clues there, but, but ultimately you have to study this stuff in vivo in a, um, you know, I haven't followed the field in terms of whether like, you know, the, there's a lot of recent developments in terms of, um, culturing these things out of organ, uh, uh, ex vivo, like outside of, um, the intestine, like these organoid cultures, organoid. Et cetera, right, right, right. whether like, um, bacteria, like whether the microbiome is, and those are, I mean, basically we just need systems where we can study some of this, um, you know, uh, like model systems where we can study some of this stuff more at a causal, um, you know, mechanistic level. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just really hard to study this in vivo in a living animal. And, um, you know, because ultimately, like, a lot of the biochemistry we do to measure all the aspects of metabolism, um, you know, is just, is just not as amenable to, um, you know, kinds of in vivo situations in the intestine. And, um, yeah, so, so I think the, the, there's all kinds of really interesting possibilities in terms of how the microbiome plays onto metabolism in terms of, you know, whether it's supplying butyrate, whether it's whether it's supplying a major, you know, other macronutrient related to, um, like, for instance, the butyrate, I believe, can end up as acetate, which can then be converted to acetyl-CoA. And so, you know, you have direct metabolism involving histone acetylation, but you also have an endogenous um, inhibitor, in this case it would be exogenous, coming from the bacteria and then going into an intestinal cell and inhibiting its, its um, histone deacetylases. Um, 
you know, their activity. And so, yeah, all these things are possibly there and, and you know, they're really intriguing to speculate on. And we can think about so many interesting, you know, scenarios in which, um, you know, in, in which this bacterial composition, um, you know, plays a major role in, in metabolism in the gut. It's, it's just, I think it's just very hard. To, it's very hard at this point to to really get some strong understanding of it, though. Right. Right. So I have uh, just one comment. Uh, yeah. On, you know, Jason just mentioned <laughs> when we take antibiotics, we we are fine. And 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 I think uh, and I think uh, one one observation we made is uh, for healthy mice, for healthy yeah. individuals, if we take antibiotics. Um, I mean, most most of us are fine, um, but in some of the genetic uh, manipulated defective uh, animals, at least uh, when when you deplete microbiome, uh, there might be an impact. This is actually one of the observations we made uh, in our lab um, with with this ACS funding. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, one of the enzyme we knocked out. Um, they, the mice, uh, they, they are fine in vivo. Um, uh, I mean, intact mice is fine. Um, but interestingly, um, in another institution, uh, they had the same animal. They can't get the knockout. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were unable to get any uh, knockout animals. Then uh, eventually we realized the two institutions, we had very different a microbiome. So, oh. so yeah. So mm-hmm. when the microbiome, uh, if if we kill our animals, uh, the, kill the microbiome in our animals, the animal also die. Mm-hmm. So, so in, in this case, um, I, I think goes back to Mike's question. You know, I think the microbiome is a very uh, critical uh, component um, in this uh, mucosal uh, homeostasis system. Mm-hmm. So you have both microbiome, uh, mucosal epithelia, and also maybe even the immune uh, cells. Um, the the crosstalk uh, is is very uh, important. That's why I was very interested in um, Jason's uh, you know question whether the microbial metabolites also can modulate the host cell you know uh, metabolic status. That would be a very very critical question i think in the future yeah, yeah. so one one of the model systems I, I was thinking about was you have to go way 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 down to north carolina uh, <laughs> Far the, out there. Yeah, yeah i know way out there at the university of north carolina there's a guy named scott boltman oh yeah genetics yeah yeah who's got some you know he's been doing some of these notobiotic raised mm-hmm. animals and yeah. you know the effect of fiber and i think mm-hmm. some of his studies were showing fiber was increasing the uh the bacterial microbiome's utilization of fiber mm-hmm. as a source to cr- to actually generate butyrate. The butyrate, yeah. yeah. And then he thinks, you know, you know, that once again, this potential effects as an HDAC inhibitor, but also, you know, as a metabolite, just as Jason yeah. was saying, you know, it's a metabolite on its own. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're real interesting questions. But, uh, you know, from an outsider's point of view, I'm like Jason, it, it sort of looks like, 
there's a lot of interesting questions and not a lot of <laughs> answers to those questions right now. Yeah, well, the field is relatively, I mean, it, it, it's still relatively in its early stages. I mean, uh, um, there's only a few years ago where, you know, even like any phenotypes were reported at all. And, and um, you know, I think at this stage, it's really moving from the, the cataloging the observations to, to, to generating the knowledge or the, 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 the um, you know, the relationships and, and the, the um, you know, and, and, and it's something where, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I wish, I wish I wasn't so tied down into studying all this biochemistry. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, maybe if I got some new funding from ICF, <laughs> uh, you know, we might be able to explore some of this. I mean, it, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's uh, yeah, it's a really exciting area, and there's just so little that's known, but it's likely to have some really profound, you know, consequences on our health, and you know, especially in the case of cancer, and um, um, you know, there's, I, I mean, I haven't been studying it very carefully, but there's all kinds of interesting things about. It. I think Matt, Matt, uh, Matthew Meyerson's lab at, um, you know, Dana Farber at Harvard, he was. Um, you know, reporting that, you know, basically there were strains of bacteria living in tumors and, and, and they were evolving with the tumors right, as well. Yes, right, right, and, right. and so basically like it was a, there was like a microbiome like within, you know, cancer itself wow. and, and, you know, and, and beyond like the intestine and, and um, you know, those kinds of things are just amazing thinking about, you know, if that's really, you know, something that co-evolves like during, you know, tumor evolution, you know, we have to think about, you know, how the microbiome were potentially targeted as well. I mean, and, you know, potentially think about how therapeutics and, uh, you know, could interact with it. I mean, that's really fascinating. I mean, and, and another thing related to that is that, you know, another aspect that's coming out in this microbiome field is that it's very dependent on the environment. It, it's, um, you know, these studies show that you, you know, if you eat white bread for like two weeks, like your entire microbiome, like, changes. And I mean, it's, it's very dependent on nutritional state. It's very dependent on geographical location, um, on diet, nutrition. Um, and so if it's something that's really, you know, involved in cancer, it's, it's potentially something that we could, we could all just change, uh, um, you know, and, and, and influence in a short time. I mean, as, you know, as we all know, working in cancer, I mean, one of the really frustrating aspects of doing cancer research is from the time you have a drug target to the time that you have a therapy for a patient. I mean, sometimes that's 30 years. And, you know, and, and, and you know, so, I mean, so, something that I try to focus on as much as I can in my lab when we, when we work on cancer, um, you know, is, is, is potential ways in which we could impact patients um, you know, in, in a laboratory setting in a shorter time. And, and, you know, as soon as you have something where, you know, there's a three-week intervention of, like, say, a diet or some nutrition, and then that could, um, you know, have some impact on, on you know, cancer outcome, um, you know, that, that, that could be really, really, really important. And, and it, you know, could be one way in which we, um, right. you know, make potentially some faster progress. Right. These are some really fascinating questions that you guys have uh, have mm -hmm. brought up. And uh, on the one hand, they're just some really exciting and fascinating biology. On the other hand, it's depressing to think about that in terms of nutrition and diet when I think about my own diet. But, 
But moving forward, if if we switched and if we were going to be talking to a lay audience really quickly, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and we were bouncing off them, if they were wondering, you know, why is is the American Cancer Society funding work in your area? What would mm-hmm. you two say? You know, what would be the answer? What? Why is this an important area of research from your point of view? To a lay audience. So I think it's. I mean, it's become more and more appreciated that there's a there's a major metabolic component to the to the disease that we know of as cancer and. Um, and, and 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 this raises um, you know a lot of possible opportunities to 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 affect it. I mean, when we when we think about um, you know other diseases which have a metabolic component like hypertension or diabetes or um, and so on, like um, there's there's immediate interventions that one takes um, in terms of diet and lifestyle that has you know huge consequences on the outcomes and uh, of these diseases um you know things like hypertension and and um you know other other like you know diabetes and cardiometabolic disorders like they're treated with diet and they're treated with you know lifestyle changes um and we also you know have a feeling that cancer is also you know as it has a metabolic component like at the clinical level, it's still way behind in terms of thinking about how we use lifestyle and diet, um, you know, to influence cancer outcome. But but we we suspect it has a huge effect, and that's where the basic science comes in. And just you know, the more we understand these links, the better we can understand you know exactly what kind of lifestyle and diet and dietary you know interventions we could take to influence um, cancer. Um, and uh, you know, I think that's something that you know, American Cancer Society, especially having a, um, you know, strong program in the basic sciences of uh, cancer metabolism has really, um, you know, been been leading that. And, um, you know, and, and, and like, for instance, like, there's a whole other world of, like, repurposing drugs, like drugs that, you know, are used to treat diabetes and are used to treat, um, you know, uh, like cardiovascular disease, um, you know, there's also a lot of literature and, you know, ideas about potentially using those drugs to treat cancer well. And so these are all ways in which, you know, we just have a better understanding of how this actually works. You know, the, we have opportunities to impact the lives of, you know, a lot of right. people that are suffering from right. cancer. Right. So so uh, I, I would say, you know, um, I think uh, if a cancer um responding is responsible or responsive to therapies such as radiation or chemotherapy, those cancers are not uh, scary. I think uh, the, the most scary uh, cancer is that those resistant uh, to therapies and those, uh, the cancer cells that can adapt um, the, to, to the therapy and they eventually come back, those, those cancer cells are um, I think most scary and uh, lethal. So, so I think our research, like mine and Jason's, are trying to define these adaptive pathways, how mm. how they play a role for these cancer cells to come back, right? So, if eventually these pathways can be defined, then we can um, think about ways to to block individual or uh, these uh, these adaptive pathways. So eventually, uh, to to delay the cancer comeback or to 
completely uh, irradiate the disease. So that's that 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 that's something I, I would say to the lay audience. Oh, great. Well, thank you guys so much for, for helping out with this. I think you guys are incredible. I keep thinking if, if I spent more time around you two guys, I'd get a lot smarter, but so far it hasn't <laughs> had any effect at all. But I'm, I'm so thankful that you guys helped out with this. And uh, Thank you, Mike. Sure. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, Mike. This was a lot of fun.